we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. see if that's stuck. We'll see if that's stuck. Um, just, just to let you know, we have our new Advent devotionals that have arrived. They're available actually out in the, the foyer. Can you believe it's already Advent almost? Uh, next week, it begins Advent season as we move into Christmas. So be sure to pick these up. These are really cool. I had a chance to preview these a few weeks ago. Um, it just will be a wonderful addition to your devotional life as we prepare to celebrate the coming of the Messiah. Um, really cool stuff. If you are new with us today, thank you so much for walking through these doors and, and joining us in worship. We don't take that for granted. Um, if you could let us know you're here by going to fbcsa.org slash connect, you actually can do that on your device right now. It's the simplest way to let us know, hey, I worshiped with you today, and then we will make every effort to connect with you later on in the week. Also, um, giving is a part of our time of worship. It's a way of saying to the Lord, we trust you with all of life, including our, our finances, and we give back to you as an act of worship, um, and to be a part of what God is doing through this church family. So you can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give, or you can drop an offering envelope on your way out through one of the bins that uh, are right there and as you exit this morning. So we are in James chapter five. We're beginning to wrap up this series in the book of James. And it's been challenging, it's been uh, encouraging, it's been hard uh, for us and some of the words that he uses uh, to talk about our, our nature um, and how dependent we are on the Lord. Um, and as we wrap up this series, I think it's been really sweet these past few verses, even though they can be harder verses to understand. Um, I think at the end of the day, Pastor James, this brother of Jesus, um, his heartbeat is to call us to an undivided kind of Christian life. You remember at the very beginning, um, he said, if any of you lacks wisdom, go to the Lord and ask of him. He's gonna give to you generously. Just be sure when you go to him, you go to him undivided, uh, that you go to him alone because he alone can meet the kind of needs and answer the kind of prayers that you have in your life. He alone is capable of doing that. So go to him undivided. And I think James is trying to describe for us and nudge us or push us in some ways into this kind of undivided Christian life, especially these last few verses, um, he's going to describe for us what that kind of life looks like. Now, you remember last week, he was looking at a people who were facing injustice. They were going through difficult times, and he said, listen, let me just call you to a life of patiently waiting, because ultimately, when Jesus returns, he's gonna bring the kind of justice that you're longing for. So he called to the church to patiently wait, not in a passive way, uh, but in an active way, seeking to bear fruit 
to love God and love others more and eat more and more in each day. He's called us to that kind of life. In fact, you remember he said, I don't want you to grumble uh, uh, about each other. God, God does not like that kind of behavior. Uh, in fact, he would say, uh, that's the last thing you need when you're facing tough stuff, right? Uh, when you're trying to bear fruit in life. You don't need to grumble about each other. You need each other. Now, quickly, I'm going to talk about verse 12. We didn't get to this last week, but it's still in the vein of how are we to live this life until Jesus returns? One of them was, hey, don't grumble, patiently wait, not in a passive way, but an active way. And then he says in verse 12, I just want to read that briefly, and then we'll move on to where he's headed in these next few verses. Verse 12 says, but most of all my brothers and sisters never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Again, that's not a condemnation of uh, you're gonna be eternally separated from God. It's more of God condemns that kind of behavior in the life of the Christian. He will discipline you for that kind of behavior. And that behavior he's talking about here is a, a behavior of making oaths or swearing by heaven or earth. Now, what in the world is James talking about? Um, I think what James is referring to is that we, when we can find ourselves in difficult situations or tight spots in life where we're hurting, we can be inclined to say, if God, you do this, if you pull me up out of this, if you rescue me out of this, then I will make sure to do this and fill in the blank, right? God, if you do this, then I will do this. Kind of an oath. Uh, I'll serve you the rest of my life or I'll never eat chocolate again or, you know, whatever. We can make an oath. And James says, that's not the way we go about this Christian life. Um, we don't make oaths like that. Now, James is not opposed to all oath-making. We see that in Scripture. But James is talking about there is a kind of consistency in the Christian life where when we say yes, we mean yes. And when we say no, we mean no without confusion. We're not trying to convince God to do something or convince other people uh, to do something. We just are committed to being a consistent follower of Jesus where people can trust what we say. Now, these next verses, James really wants to describe for us, can I just tell you what that undivided, consistent Christian life is to look like? Uh, can I tell you what it looks like for the believer to follow Jesus in all of life? Would you stand with me? We're gonna read verses 13 through 18 together. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, 
The sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Father, we pray that you bless the reading of your word today. Lord, help us to receive, understand, and obey. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So again, James is going to answer the question in verses 13 through 18, what does an undivided, consistent Christian life look like in very practical and tangible ways? And in verses 13 and 14, uh, mainly just verse 13 here, he says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. That seems pretty clear, right? Essentially, I think James is saying to us, there really isn't a season or time or moment or part of our lives that God is not to be a part of, um, that we exclude God from. I think James is trying to teach the church, um, us included, that all of our life belongs to the Lord, whether we are hurting and suffering, we pray, we go to the Lord, the one who is able to do something about it, and or if things are going well in our life, we sing praises of thanks and we rejoice in the God who has redeemed us and, and blessed us in life. And, and James is saying, it doesn't matter what season you're in, all of your life doesn't just belong to the Lord, but we should go to him in all of our life, whether we're hurting or things are well or whether they're not well, all of it belongs to the Lord. There isn't a season or moment in your life when you do not draw near. Remember James 4, 8, um, when Pastor James says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I think that's what he's saying. There's not a time in your life when you should not draw near to God. You should always draw near to God. Whether that's in asking God to remove you from suffering or to help you or sustain you in suffering or rejoicing in God because of a blessing that you received and his goodness. All of that, you take every opportunity and every season of life to draw near to him. Now, we in the West, we are just really experts in compartmentalizing our life, right? We can, whether we intend to or not, we can sometimes say, oh God, this, this is your part. I go to worship and I do Bible study, but my vocation, the stuff I do at work and the relationships I have with friends, that's kind of my part. Or, and we don't mean to do that sometimes, but it just happens. And James is saying the exact opposite of that. You can't do that. You can't do that. Life is hard. We live in a broken world. Suffering exists. You cannot compartmentalize your life. You have to give all of it to the Lord. You go to him in every season, in every time, in every moment. And in these practical ways, he says, if you're, if you're hurting, you go and pray. If, you're, if things are well, you praise the Lord. Then he moves on in verse 14, another way that we are to be consistent and undivided in this life. Verse 14, he says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. 
And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. So what does James prescribe for us? What does an undivided Christian life look like? Well, he says when you're sick, when you're not well, and most scholars believe that this isn't just weakness he's talking about. He's talking about physical ailment. That when you're suffering from sickness or physical ailment, you call upon the elders or the leadership of your church family. Um, You call upon them to pray over you and anoint you with oil. Now, we know that because of Old Testament scripture and applications of oil and even in the New Testament, that anointing with oil was always symbolic of a person being set aside to fulfill a particular task or function, i.e. David when he was anointed, or even Saul, or even the priests when they are anointed, they are, it's symbolic of saying, this is how God's gonna use you. You have been set apart for this purpose. And that's the picture that we have here is, is that in that being prayed over and that anointing of oil over that sick, sick person, it's that beautiful symbol of, again, this person, all of his or her life is set apart for the kingdom of God. All of me, the spiritual part of me and the, the physical part of me, all of it belongs to the Lord. It's really a beautiful picture of calling a portion of the church family to pray over me and my sickness, to pray over you and your sickness, and they identify it with the anointing with oil and saying, all of you belongs to the Lord. Or heal this person. It's also an opportunity for us in our weakness or even in our sickness. I don't know, maybe you and I are different in this way, but um, when tough stuff happens in my life or I haven't experienced sickness to some degree that many others, but I imagine they feel the same way, that in those tough moments of life that we can feel the most divided, right? Is God really here? Does God really care? Is God gonna fulfill his promises? Where is the Lord? Why can't I hear the Lord? Can God heal me? Can God do anything? We can, we can feel the most divided sometimes when we face those kind of things, sickness or tough stuff. And I think James is saying the normal Christian life, when you find yourself in a divided kind of way, what do you do? You don't stay there. You call upon undivided people who might be in a different season of life. In this case, elders of the church who, who have this, this experience of trusting in the Lord. You invite undivided people to pray over you in your divided season to remind you of the truths and promises of God that he is indeed faithful and he alone can do the kind of work that's required in your life. In this case, healing. Inviting undivided people to remind me and to remind you of a God who is good and able to do what he's promised to do. That's what James is talking about in these verses. And then he says this. A person or a people who pray in that kind of way in the name of the Lord And he says this in two places. 
in the name of the Lord, or the Lord will heal you. He, he says that in verse 15, the Lord will heal you. The emphasis is here is that those who are praying are going to the Lord expectant that he alone can do something about the person's needs, right? They're going to the one who is able. Now, this is important for us to understand when we get to this next verse or in these verses, because he says such a prayer, this is verse 15, such a prayer offered in faith, that kind of prayer who goes to the Lord alone, that kind of prayer will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. There's a tendency in us and it's teaching that we hear in a lot of different places that if we just had the right kind of faith, if we just strung the right kind of words together, if I could just envision and imagine the healing strong enough, then God would heal me or my ailment would be healed. Gosh, if I, if I could just claim it and own it, then somehow, because of my ability just to be able to see the reality of this healing or this success or this overcoming of something, then God would work on my behalf. That's not what's going on here. This isn't the power of positive thinking or the power of positive confession, which is what's becoming kind of the rage. If, if I can just imagine it and claim it, claim the blessings of God for myself, it's gonna become a reality. That is not what James is talking about here. James is not talking about that kind of power of positive thinking. He's, nor is he talking about a healing service with someone who's uniquely gifted to heal that can just bring people up on stage and heal. In fact, what you're having here is the person who needs healing asking for healing. Doesn't happen the other way. That's not what James is talking about. James is talking about the kind of undivided Christian life that goes to he alone who is able to heal and to meet a need. And James is saying, when you pray like that, when you, when you go to God, the, the only way anything's gonna happen in your life is if God does it, right? Uh, if God alone is able to do that kind of work, you can't go anywhere else. And that's what the consistent Christian life looks like. We, we go to the Lord in time of need because he alone is able to do it. We're anointed in oil, although we don't really do that. It's biblical. As a symbol of I, all of myself belongs to the Lord. And it's that type of posture and prayer when we go to the Lord that he may be inclined to heal us. It's not a magical phrase or an incantation, that's more like witchcraft than prayer. That's very important for us to understand. Um, we, we see this kind of in play. There's a story with Jesus and his disciples. This is Matthew 17, verses 17 through 20. If you remember, Jesus, James, John, Peter went up to uh, the mountain, this transfiguration happened. They come back down, and there's this, this commotion, this commotion, and they run up to Jesus and say, listen, we've been trying to get your other disciples to heal this demon-possessed boy, and they can't do it. They can't do it. What's the deal? They couldn't put the right words together. 
or whatever. They just weren't able to do it. And um, Jesus says to them in verses 17 through 20, if we could put those back up on the screen, he said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon of the boy and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? And he says, you don't have enough faith. Faith, what does Jesus mean by that? It's exactly what James means in these verses. Faith, did could they just not imagine it enough? Did they not believe it enough? No, they had lost sight of who alone could actually heal the boy. And that's why Jesus says, listen, this, that kind of healing requires a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer to whom? To me. And that's why he says at the beginning of the passage, have I not been with you long enough? Don't you know who is capable of healing? I am. Not positive thinking or claiming it to happen or whatever. We go to the Lord in prayer because he alone is capable to meet the kind of needs that we have. Whether he chooses to do it or not to do it, he alone has the ability. It's, it's kind of like in my house, I, I'm not going to name names, but I have one, mostly one, that will come up to me almost every day Dad, can we get ice cream today? Dad, can we get ice cream today? Dad, can we get ice cream today? Can we get ice cream today? Some days I say yes. But let me tell you, she comes to me day after day because she knows I have the means to get the ice cream, whether I give it to her or not. She, it, it, ice cream just doesn't magically appear because she wills it to happen. She comes to me over and over again trusting with great faith that if I choose to bring ice cream home or take us out to get ice cream, it would happen. It's the same way that James is saying. We invite other people, faithful people, undivided people to pray over us, anoint us in oil, and we're gonna go to the he alone who is able to do something about it. And it's in that kind of faith that kind of going to the Lord where healing is most likely to happen. That's what he's saying. All right. He wraps up verse 15, which is gonna bleed into the next few verses. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. We're gonna have to do this quickly. Verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then he gives us this wonderful example of Elijah. Great example of Elijah. So verse 16. What does the undivided, consistent Christian, look, Christian life look like? Well, it looks like confessing sins to one another and praying for each other. Right? So far he said that, that undivided life looks like Praying to God in a point of need. It looks like praising God when everything seems to be going well. It looks like uh, going to other people and asking them to pray over you when you're suffering or in a moment of sickness or weakness. And it looks like confessing your sins to one another. This all of life and every season of life, we, we bring to the Lord. And in this case, we invite the community of faith in. We confess sin to one another 
and we pray for one another. It's interesting here that James, in the latter part of verse 15, and then in these verses, connects the spiritual to the physical. Right? He says in verse 15, and if you had committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. This is from a person who's asking for physical healing. And, and, and if you have sinned, your sins will be forgiven. And then he says in verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's interesting. He doesn't say so that you may be forgiven. He says so that you may be healed. Pastor James connects the physical, our bodies, to our spiritual part of ourselves. We don't do that much in the Western world. We say there's the spiritual part of us and then there's the physical part of us and they rarely ever meet. James seems to believe that the two are woven together and the spiritual has an impact on the physical. And in this case, he would be saying that unrepentant, unconfessed sin can manifest itself in physical ways in our life. Man, do we believe that? Now, not every ailment or every sickness is because of sin. That's not what James is saying. But he is saying some illness, some weakness that we have in our body can be a result of unrepentant, unconfessed sin. Um, James can say, gosh, could it be that stress, anxiety, or depression, or even physical sickness, can that be a, a manifestation of sin that's just been held onto and the shame and the guilt of holding on to that sin has reaped a reward in our life and has manifested itself in these kind of ways? James says it's possible. Not always, but it's possible. That's why he says you may experience healing. You may experience healing or or maybe even if we think about Hebrews where the author of Hebrews says God disciplines those whom he loves. Is it possible that if, if a follower of Jesus, a brother and sister, is holding on to unconfessed, unrepentant sin, that, that, that God could say, you know what, I love you enough to discipline you, and I'm going to, you're going to hurt for a season. Is that possible? Yeah, I think so. You know, there's a story in Acts, and this is a little different, but the same in some ways. There's a sorcerer, uh, as Paul is going around church planting that is trying to keep them from doing what they're doing, and Paul stops and condemns his actions, his sinful actions, and led by the Holy Spirit, it leads to this man's blindness, a physical response to his sinful action. I think the same can be true of us as believers. Likely, we don't often think about it in this way. James makes these connections between the spiritual and the physical. And James is saying to us, listen, if when you're in that place and you need to confess sin and to have victory over sin, you can't do this alone. Uh, you can't experience the kind of freeing forgiveness, tangible forgiveness, or victory over sin or healing unless you begin to confess that sin to one another, unless you begin to pray for one another. That's what James is saying. 
here's the point, in an undivided, drawing near kind of life, we confess sin to one another. And it's in that place that we've experienced the tangible forgiveness that we have in Jesus. How does that work? I think it works like this, um, that we identify one or two people in our life that we trust, that we know them and they know us. And we pray over each other and for each other and we confess sin to one another. And in those moments of confessing of a sin, um, our brother, our sister says to us, can I just remind you, you are forgiven in Jesus' name. That Jesus has forgiven you of that sin because he died on the cross and rose from the grave for that sin. You don't have to hold on to that guilt and shame any longer. It's that tangible, vocal confession and response of you are forgiven. How many of you need to hear that in your life? There's so much value in in confessing sin to the Father. And we have that privilege. But also there's incredible value in the community of faith where we call out to people and those people that we trust to know and say, I need to confess my sin to you. And it's in those moments where I think we are more inclined to experience the kind of victory that we need over sin. This is James saying, you can't have consistent victory over sin in your life unless you invite the community in. Those two or three people where you're confessing and being prayed over and being prayed for, that's what needs to happen in your life, in mine and in yours, to confess sin to each other. They give um, Elijah as an example of the power of prayer. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Elijah. Um, there is, Elijah was on the run his whole life. No one really wanted Elijah around because he was the voice of the Lord, and there was a lot of mess going on among the people of Israel and the kings um, just a lot of stuff, and people wanted him dead. He was, again, on the run. Um, but in the height of Israel's rebellion, Elijah prays with the purpose of God behind him that he withhold rain for three years, three and a half years, um, so as to bring to the people to a place of repentance and eventual restoration. And when that begins to happen, he prays again, and rain is restored James is talking about, um, there's a few things in there that are important for us to know as we confess sin to one another and we pray over one another and we live this undivided life of prayer with one another. He says, um, Elijah was just like you. Elijah's human just like you. And Elijah prayed. A righteous man walking in the grace of the Lord prayed and because God in fulfilling his purpose answered his prayer. And James is saying that can be true of us too. Um, That can be true of us in, in our lives as we connect with one another and confess sin with one another. That when we pray in that kind of way, just human beings in normal rhythms of life who are in desperate need of God to act in his ways and his purposes, um, that's when prayers are answered in our life. That's when victory over sin is realized. That's when healing takes shape in us when we faithfully go to a God like that with one another. 
So every week I've been doing um, some survey questions for you, and I'm going to do that this week, just one. And so if we could go ahead and put that QR code on the screen. Um, my question for you today is this, is how regularly do you confess sin to another person in your life? How regularly do you confess sin? It might be a little worded a little different um, when you get there, but if you could do that now. We're also going to move into a time of response. Um, listen, we are, we are always open for you to come and pray, and we will be committed to praying over you and with you. How ought you to respond today? Are you undivided? Uh, are you divided? Do you need to, in a brand new, fresh kind of way, say, Lord, help me to be an undivided person in this Christian life? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for um, Pastor James and these words. Uh, Lord, we, we need these reminders of what it looks like to live in an undivided kind of way. Help us to be the kind of people that, um, the kind of church that invites you into every part of our life, not just some parts of our life. Help us to be the kind of people with great faith that come to you alone with one another to seek our need. Lord, we ask you to do that for our good and the glory of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.